Well, welcome once again to Legacy Leadership Alliance. I am Bishop Sean Cooper, and I tell you it's a joy to share with you here on Legacy Leadership Alliance. Legacy Leadership Alliance is a podcast dedicated to emerging generations and thought leaders for legacy transference in the marketplace, educational systems, and religious institutions. Legacy Leadership Alliance four points of light are mentorship, PK Alliance, and pastoral infrastructure. Well, welcome once again to Legacy Leadership Alliance. Of course, I'm Bishop Sean Cooper, and man, it is a blessing uh, to share with you as leaders, leaders, whether you're professional in terms of a, a job description and, and you're an entrepreneur or you're a preacher of the gospel, whether it's the secular or the sacred, you that are leaders, I want you to know that God loves you and you just got to stay on the wall like Nehemiah. Uh, today, I am so excited, uh, excited, I have a good friend of mine that's here. And in fact, I think he is one of the most brilliant, and I'm not just, I'm just, I'm just as they say, jiving with you, <laughs> one of the most brilliant person uh, that I know. His mind is just incredible. He's multidimensional. Uh, he, he's caring. He's loving. He's convicted. And he is a seer. He's an eagle. And uh, that is none other than attorney Andrew Randall slash Bishop Preacher. <laughs> community leader uh, and uh, of course uh, attorney Randall is uh, the parish director of juvenile services and also he's overseeing the juvenile detention and probation operations how you doing my friend I'm doing wonderful Bishop thank you for having me here today man I am I am so honored to be in your presence and I'm grateful for you grateful for your model of leadership of ministry and the way you've impacted my life and the lives of so many others so man this is this is I'm just greatly, greatly looking forward to this today. Well, I, I, you know, I am excited. I wanted to have you on um, for some time, and you know, just a matter of timing. Sure. Um, but man, I'm very, very excited um, about you being on today because you know there's a lot of things going on mm -hmm. certainly uh, when it comes to our children and our kids, and of course we work together, uh, School of Greatness, yes. as well as um, the Juvenile Services. We work together. Yeah. And uh, we, we, we're trying to not just yell at the TV about our kids, sure, but to make a generational and lasting impact in their life. Because as we know in this current time, man, there's so much going on in families, in education, in politics, in economics. And some way, somehow, our kids kind of get lost through the shuffles. Mm -hmm. um, and so you are basically on the front line. And so I just kind of want to ask you a few questions. Um, the first one is, can you share with us, um, or, or let me say it this way, as a director of juvenile services, what, 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 are, what are the key responsibilities that you have to undertake? So, so what juvenile services handles principally are, are, are two areas. It is our juvenile uh, detention center here in, in Caddo Parish, which is a 24-bed uh, facility, 24-hour facility uh, that essentially operates with um, three pods of eight in that all children um, who were charged with, with crimes and brought to, uh, brought to the facility where we have three shifts of 
of um, juvenile detention center officers that oversee those particular uh, pods. There, those children are provided three meals a day. We have educational services for them. So they're receiving, uh, in, there's actually literally a principal of the detention center. So the children go to school as they normally would um, in the facility and then there are just enrichment services that are provided to them, recreational services, mental health uh, counseling that's provided to them, medical care. So all of that is happening in that particular space. But then in addition to that, we have uh, our juvenile uh, probation. Currently right now there are 579 children that are currently on probation and uh, that's through the agency of the juvenile uh, court which the judges uh, principally handle but uh, the children that are given no probation are assigned to our officers and we have varying levels of, of court that we oversee so we have uh, the IDD court which is the mental health court we have drug court which is for children who of course and that are struggling uh, in that area we have star court which is where we have children that have been trafficked or in some way uh, treated in that manner that we manage that space and then children that are on probation uh, supervised and or unsupervised and then truancy so that's that's amazing because uh, I'm almost like lost because we're talking about within the, those different agencies we're talking about 500 over 500 kids yes yes that fits in those demographics or those uh, particular agencies yes that's a lot of kids man that's a lot that, that's a lot. Um, what, what type of burden do, does that put on uh, juvenile services? Is it is it really heavy? Uh, because yeah, there's, there's been an explosion, actually, I would say. So pre-COVID, uh, those numbers were really kind of hovering in the threes, 300s. Mm-hmm. And so post-COVID, uh, a lot of the explosion, frankly, was due to truancy because of the disconnect that we saw in the educational system with kids basically who spent two years either not even clicking on the computer or even if they did, just just dropping out. And so there's been a great, so, so one thing feeds into the other because today's truants become tomorrow's delinquents. And so if they're not going to school, then the, the, the natural progression uh, or dissension of behavior is right. to go into things that are uh, not safe for them or the public. So out of your experience, what do you think is the most unique challenges that you guys have right now? I'm sure there's several, but what, if it was two or three that were the highlights of the most unique challenges, what would they be? Is it the parents? Is it, is it the, the lack of support, uh, of course, with the infrastructure in their home? Um, is, it, is it the system itself that though the kids come, you know, the limited of change that would cause them to reoccur? From your experience, what what are what is unique to you that is well, the highlights? I think I think it is a convergence of, of many factors, but I think I mean primarily everything begins in the home, and there is there is absolutely a breakdown in terms of um, the village that's around the children. The, 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 this is the most loved but lonely most connected but disconnected generation I think we've ever had. Wow. And so when you consider the effects of that, especially now when you have, for instance, I would say some of the saddest things I see um, are when children are in the facility and maybe it's a truancy issue, but they're there and the person that's with them in court is their 70 plus year old grandparent. And I got a a 12 year, 13 year old who doesn't want to go to school. Mm 
but I got a parent or a grandparent, excuse me, that's, I don't have the energy. I, I can't follow, you know, and that kid is basically, and the parent is missing. Yeah. And so I, it's, that's a huge, huge issue. Uh, I would say truancy is probably the, the, the biggest issue because for whatever reason, this great falling away of issues with schools. And then thirdly, um, community support is a challenge because there are great organizations like yours and others that would provide to build out that village around the kid when those other systems fail. Mm-hmm. Um, we are underfunding them and underutilizing them in many ways. And so um, I think by the time a kid goes to jail, several things have already failed. Them. Right. Family, school. There's a lot of systems that have, have, have fallen short at that point. Uh, I, I, this is... Uh so important to me, as you know, yes. Um, because I don't want to cross over to the kingdom so quickly mm-hmm. and talk to you about that, because mm-hmm. there is a responsibility for the church yes. and community. Uh, but w- w- what do you think is, or let me say it this way, what is your vision of uh, for the future for juvenile service services in, in this parish what what do you feel that god is saying to you and and you know what would you like to see the expression that it is easier to build strong men than strong children to repair broken men is axiomatic to to what we do yeah um i think uh certainly my vision we so we have 85 employees that serve the public interest on behalf of the parish in these varying areas that i just described um, those people are committed uh, conscientious and they really want to see children and families be better yeah so everything that we do is designed to for for juvenile with juvenile law which is essentially designed to be rehabilitative um, and and slow down or completely divert this school to prison you know pipeline so what is what is my vision in that regard man it's to in, absolutely continue to enhance the services that we provide, yeah. um, whether that's kids that are in the detention center or kids that are on probation, uh, whichever wing of the plane our employees happen to work on, they all have the same objective, mm-hmm. and it is to turn those lives around. When those kids come into the detention center, the, the, the sad and unfortunate part, really, frankly, is it, it may be for the first time in their life that they eat consistently. Yeah. It might be the first time in their life that they don't have to fight anybody and they're not being treated Mm -hmm. by the people that are supposed to care for them. Now, hold that thought because I I want our listeners, of course, we have very intelligent listeners here. Most of these people are leaders. But I I really want them to really hear how profound that is, what you're saying, that Mm -hmm. this for for the first time, Mm -hmm. if we remove just the rebellion and what caused them to get there, we start breaking down... Uh, the psychological, mental, social mm-hmm. dynamics—it—it—it—it—it um, it, 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 it really makes an impact on our reality that we got to be able to touch these kids because you're saying a lot of them for the first time they've had a consistent meal mm-hmm. for the first time. Go ahead and just just continue to what you were saying right there because I, I think what people forget that the that because we focus on the behavior that something bad has been done or occurred but fundamentally these are kids yeah and in moments of respite when you remove the factors of 
You're not being shot at. You don't have to fight. This isn't the jungle. It's not survival of the fittest. You're not dealing with the dysfunctional. Nobody's touching you, molesting you. You're not dealing with the absence necessarily of a father or a mother or the abuse from either of them. Right. You are literally in that space allowed to debrief be a child you right. are you are in a a, a pod or a, a cell and you're in there by yourself you don't have to fight nobody is is you know again nobody's sexualizing you our children are single bunk which means they're in a pod by themselves which once those things came into place sexual assault went to zero percent mm-hmm. that's not an accident that's right um and so they're safe and so anyway um, to have three meals a day so i'm not hungry all right um, I'm going to school. I'm getting help. Uh, it's different because, you know, whatever my academic track was before, I don't have to sit around and be a 15-year-old reading on a third grade level embarrassed in school, mm-hmm. in my class. So mm-hmm. I act up. Well, that doesn't happen there because you're not being treated that way. Right. And you're getting the attention that you need to help you out. You're not having to fight because you're in a gang or there isn't a threat or there isn't retaliation or there isn't those kind of things. And so it's different. Children, there are literally children that treat our detention center as a respite. We have had children knock on the door, literally, and say, do y'all have something you can charge me with so I can come in and stay? Are you guys listening to this? So kids knocking on the door, you've had incidents when they, they actually said, can I stay? Can I come back? Because uh, a consistent bed, mm-hmm. right? Yep. Although they are uh, in jail, per se, right? Uh, but they have consistency. They can eat. There's a sense of care concerning their future. They're getting educated. Yeah. That's That model and that system is better than going home. Yeah. Yeah, it is. And the challenge with that, though, so to, to, the, to the broader vision of that is... Those only become respite care because if I'm in that space and I'm receiving all that, you can't, you're not, it's, it's a pre-adjudicate, you can't stay there. Right. And so the issue on the table is when we, when they leave out there, I need to connect them to School of Greatness. I need to connect their families to programs like School of Greatness and others that kind of build that village around because the truth of the matter is... If I put a kid in a space where they're in that and they get that rest and they get these other rules, well, the environment they come from, those aren't the same rules. Mm-hmm. And so what do they do? They revert back into the survival yeah. mode and the rules of the environment in which they now have to live. It was cool that nobody's touching me, nobody's fighting me, and I'm eating in here. But out there, it's right. It's, a, it's, it's not a, like it's that. It's a different world. You know, um, and I guess this would be a great moment to kind of cross over into the kingdom mm-hmm. language and, and just the whole culture of the kingdom of God and how we as believers have a we have a place and a space in this particular challenge when it comes to our kids, broken yes. family, whatnot. Um, and, and I guess for me, uh, and you are a man of God, you're a bishop and a pastor as well, I don't know how you're doing all this, but we won't talk about that in a minute. <laughs> man, that's, Lord, have mercy. So, uh, but for me, uh, you know, when we created School of Greatness, I think I, I mentioned this to you. I was actually in Uganda, uh-huh. right? I was on a mission trip. And I was saying, man, what could I do to not just uh, have impact but transformation? 
right? Because mm -hmm. impact can can last for a moment. Yeah. I mean, they were impacted. Sure. But were they, were they changed? Right. Did we change the fundamental process of how they think? Yeah. Did we turn the light on? Yeah. Right? Because yeah. I can give you food, but can I teach you how to fish? Can I change the way you think? And this is concerning, you know, uh, fatherlessness, mm -hmm. uh, single mother raising the kids, yada yada. We hear it all day sure. on news, especially kids of color going into prison jail, the yeah. pipeline dynamic. But but could we as a ministry, you know, mm -hmm. do something and create a model that was so uh, in, in, impacting that it really, in spite of being fatherless, in spite of not having a consistency at home, mm -hmm. Could we put something in these child, these kids, that is everlasting, that is transformational, that uh, allows them to really understand their value, their significance? Because here's the thing, if you can discover who you are, if you can discover the potential you possess, if you can understand that you have true value, true significance, sure, that becomes the power. Yeah. Right, that becomes the vehicle Absolutely. that drive you out of poverty, because I was like that as well, mm -hmm. fatherless. Although I had a father, fatherless, my mother raised me for most of my life around the gangs, and you become a product of that environment, right? I mean that, not everybody, but to say that it doesn't impact you is a lie. <laughs> you know what I mean? It it does impact you, but sure. man. Um, of course, I gave my heart to the Lord. I had great mentors. Mm -hmm. And then I had discovery that I was a, an author. I was a musician. I was a writer. Mm -hmm. Destiny was turning. Now we're getting into the kingdom right now. Right, right. This is this whole discovery that, you know, God has made me unique. Yes. And I have I have assets. I have quality. I have revelation. I have significance. I have, I have purpose. And... It, it, it happened with the touch. First, touch of Jesus. Secondary, mm -hmm. a touch of mentorship mm -hmm. that helped develop. Sure. Right? Absolutely. And so now I'm, I'm in a whole different dynamic now. Uh, uh, and, and so could we create a model that was not a touch but a change? Could we create something that the kids can develop in? It's not just a couple of months, a couple of weeks, but it's, it's like you're going to be here for six years. You know what I mean? Until we replace until we pull out and yeah. we plant, yeah. until you understand mm -hmm. the significance. And of course, when I when I went to uh, Uganda and I, I came back, and of course in Uganda, man, it's like, man, I mean, the average income for the people was $1,300 a year. Well, $1,600 a year. Oh, wow. No windows, doors, electric wow. electricity, no running water. Mm -hmm. And when I looked at the sea of kids, I saw like one, one, one child. Mm -hmm. Right, mm -hmm. like one here is hundreds of kids in the orphanage, and they all had their hair hair cut. You know, none of them had shoes on, and it was so many kids that you would get lost in their individuality. It's just like one big problem. Gotcha. You follow what yeah, I'm saying? I understand. I understand. But if, uh, if you didn't have sensitivity, if you didn't have compassion, if you didn't have care, mm -hmm. you would just lump them all together. I see. And become cold and indifferent and just see it as a one big problem. Mm -hmm. But anyway, make a long story short, when I came home, that's when God began to speak to me about school of greatness, four guiding topics, and then the rest is history. Do, so what I'm saying is that the, the, the challenges that you have with the 500 kids and then 
the different levels mm-hmm. and you said the vision is how do we enhance what you already got mm-hmm. because the systems are there but needing the funding and the care and 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 the support from the community Certainly. um what do you think needs to happen i know i i've had a phenomenal um touched by heaven mm-hmm. that moved me into action yes right and i'm doing my part right what do you think uh we as a people in the church, in the uh, the kingdom of God, in the community, need to do to um, come alongside and, and to help you, man. I think there is a great vacuum, frankly, in the kingdom relative to servicing and having a passion for the need that you just expressed. Um, the unfortunate truth um, about the church community, or the spiritual community, is that there is a real absence of the kind of forward thinking and visionary desire to tr- be transformative and not just impactful. Yeah. And so there is a lack of participants, if you will, and intentionality behind ministry. Because oftentimes the unfortunate truth is churches are interested in, in engaging or impacting culture to the extent that it impacts or enriches their pews or coffers. And so there's not a commitment there. Oh, uh, you, yeah, yeah. You, you have had an impact in not just your church, but you've touched children that are sitting in the pews of other churches and in other neighborhoods. See, that's a kingdom impact. Yeah. If your mentality was, I'm going to do school of greatness, but only be committed to the extent that they will join my church. Yeah. Well, then that's going to taint the method and it's going to impact the level of commitment because your motive, I, I, I won't say it's impure, but the motive is agenda driven with the result of will all those young, those people who come to my space right, right, end right, up on right. Sunday? Yeah. And if they don't, I'm not as interested in this anymore. Right, right. So we feed people and it's like, come to the church or come to my church on Sunday. Yeah. So I, I give you are meal. you engaged me because I'm hungry or are you engaged me because you're saying, uh, you're hungry. I gave you something to eat. Now you need to be my member. Right. And and that's so that's a challenge. There, while there is an interest, perhaps in the church community, there well there is an interest, obviously, because th- these key kids that are having trouble, they, they they are a part, some of them, of of ministries, but aren't being impacted. I mean, have, aren't being transformed. Excuse me. And then I would also say. The other real truth about it is, while there is a kingdom agenda to it. This is a generation that I don't have to tell you the stats. They don't go to church. Yeah. So it's harder to connect them to a place situationally that they don't impact on a regular basis. Who's your pastor? We don't go to church. Right. Huh? Mm-hmm. You know, so you can't even. Who's your family? Well, who's your who? Did you, your mother go to church? Yeah. Your father? No, they don't go either. That's right. And so we got a generation that says, "I don't. I'm not making my kids. I'm giving my kids choice." Okay, right. Well, fine. Yeah. And in fact, a lot of the kids <laughs> actually have a negative view of of, of, of church. And yeah, now what you're saying is so essential because I know even when we deal with kids, and I know, you know, say Bishop Cooper, mm-hmm. but you know, the Lord told me, man, to not preach to the the Lord told me, don't preach to them. Be the church to them, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Be the word rather than just preach the word. Because when we sit down with a lot of the kids, and even when we go into the juvenile, in the detention, yeah. sit down with the guys, just mm-hmm. like you said, man, 
99% of the kids that are there, when we sit down and talk to them, this is this many times will be the first time they ever sit with sit down with five men. Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. That were fathers and husbands and, and single men, you know, just pillars in the community. Correct. That wasn't uh that wasn't putting them in jail yeah. or putting them in some type of discipline dynamic of you know disciplinary. Uh, and so and a pastor or bishop mm-hmm. or businessman mm-hmm. that didn't want anything from them. That's right. And so that space right there is unique, mm-hmm. which opens the door of impact and curiosity. Mm-hmm. And then when we don't go in saying, y'all need to, y'all need to, you know, <laughs> y'all need to quit breaking those windows and selling that dope, but really deal with them about uh, their decisions and, and, and tap into the genius mm-hmm. that's in them, man. Right. Then all of a sudden, um, you know, you have that open door of impact. Yeah. Um, but we got to come a different way. It's a kingdom agenda, but it's strategic evangelism, right? Like, you know, effectively, yes. Yeah, yeah, Jesus. But I hear what you're saying, man. And I, I think that um, you have an enormous uh, job and responsibility. And if we just take a step back and mm-hmm. look at what all you do, what you oversee, what you're responsible for, that plate is is quite full. Yes. And you have no idea. And this is on. I'm always serious, but this is a real serious tip. Mm-hmm. How much I pray for you, mm-hmm. because I, I recognize. Uh, and, and if we just deal with the the, the spiritual dynamic, the the satanic uh, activity mm-hmm. that's involved in. The purpose and, and what you do, yeah. Because you're dealing with the the most vulnerable, the most vulnerable and the most valuable asset in the kingdom of God and in the world is our children. Absolutely. Those that Absolutely. are to become. Absolutely. Right. Yeah. And and to have you uh, as a man of God that care, and then you know have this position as well, trying to balance out the two. Uh, it, it's quite difficult. We talk about Nehemiah, Daniel, we can go on with Joseph and all these people that had these political or, or uh, you know, positions of authority, but yet they were men of God, they were prophets, yeah. and how those two coexisted. Mm-hmm. And when we look at their lives, the opposition, the, the, the complications, and just so many multiple uh, things that they had to uh, you know, come up against. So what I want to ask you is, because we don't have a lot of time, but man, what I want to ask you is, how do you do this? We know God gonna help you, but right. but you know what? What are your strategies uh, winning in, in this whole space that you're in? So I I think much of my my life, whether it's uh, professionally and even spiritually, I've always had to be in the space of managing the multifaceted nature of, of who I am. Yeah. Uh, um, I, I literally accepted the call to ministry uh, while I was in law school. Wow. Struggling with the, 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 the concept of do I drop out, go do Man, I go, go to, with that. Go, go with sem- that. I want to hear this. Drop out, go, yeah. to, go to seminary. Um, uh, and my, my, my freshman advisor at Dillard University, uh, my undergrad, 
was the university chaplain. He knew I wanted to be a lawyer, Dr. Isaac Bivens, and he, but, he, but he also sensed this, this call. I mean, I'm, I'm doing Bible study on campus. I wasn't a preacher. Come on, President now. of the Baptist Student Union refused to be a preacher. Yeah. Uh, doing evangelism on campus, refused to acknowledge that God was calling me. And, and he said, I remember he said so vividly, vividly to me when he's like, you know, you can do both. And I was like, all right, yeah, okay, cool. And yeah. you know, but I'm 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 rolling. I mean, I'm a poli sci major. I'm interested in international affairs and a Woodrow Wilson fellow. So I'm I'm gonna go be a diplomat, you know, or I'm gonna go to law school. I'm gonna go be working D.C. And I wrestled with all of those things at the same time. And then I got God kind of tugging at me. Yeah. And then I was like, yeah, okay, well, you know, we'll see. And I literally got to Tulane Law School, and 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 as that. That call and that pull in my own spiritual evolution began to, you know, bring break me to a place of submission to God. Mm-hmm. I was like, how do I do both? And so anyway, um, I've always had to navigate the that the um, the calling to to serve the people of God as as a, as a minister and as that evolved, the youth pastor, youth minister, young adult pastor, and the two senior pastor, bishop, all of that. At the same time, I've been an attorney at the same time. I mean, I accepted both at the same time. So they have grown up together. My um, education as a lawyer, my avocation as a pastor and minister of the gospel, and combine those places. And, and, and whatever other talents or gifts I may have, you know what I'm saying? I see it as, um, you, you mentioned Joseph. Uh, it may be a coat of many colors, and to others it's pretty, but to me it's heavy. Yeah. Exactly, and so I, I, I have, I have struggled at times with trying to boil the ocean. I've struggled at times yeah. with trying to manage uh, and not be distracted by all of it, overwhelmed by all of it. But um, it, it's, it's been the grace, and I've, I've, I mean, I've failed a lot along the way in trying to navigate that and manage it. But I'm grateful. How do I balance it at this point? Number one, I keep perspective on the fact that. It's not me. It's God in me. I'm anointed for this. That the anointing is not just to preach a sermon, but to do a task. Yeah. And so um, that's good. I'm anointed, but those 85 people that that I have the privilege of of, of stewarding and guiding, they're anointed too. Mm-hmm. And the idea is tapping into because the anointing is just the enablement of God. Yeah. And so you take that enablement of God and you educate it or you buy various professional development experiences become. But at the end of the day, when you recognize that this is just God's anointing manifesting itself yeah. in many ways and expressions, then it helps me to keep perspective on who I am and who the people of God has assigned you know, um, um, to me. And then also the idea of balance, knowing your limitations, stewarding your, your personal mind, your life, your family, mm-hmm. and recognizing the benefits of those things and not just being... Um, my title or who I am or what I do mm-hmm. and not just be a human being I mean a human doing but be a human being and then that makes me take refuge in the things that are most important um, very good so that's that's kind of how I manage it very good that it's a lot of meat on that bone <laughs> I'm serious that's a lot of wisdom but you know what stands out and we're gonna, mm. we're gonna sign out here in a minute okay man i got it we gotta have you back we, we can double we yeah, write it back gonna, man I'm, I'm, we gotta have you back so we we can talk again on part two um a couple of weeks and you know you let's, gotta, let's, you let's gotta, go cut, let's go cut some space out I, I, you got it man you got it um i want all of you all that are listening to pray for attorney bishop pastor 
Andrew Randall. Pray for him. Pray for. Thank you. Um, as you can see, that his task is is quite challenging. But uh, he said two things that stood out. He said the grace of God and the anointing. Absolutely. That it, that it takes to do what you do. So um, we're gonna sign out. But listen, we love you. Thank you all for listening. You that are um, Legacy Leadership Alliance leaders, thank you all for listening and just participating. I pray that you continue to follow God with all your heart. Do you have any final words um, that you can just say to, to the leaders that's out there? I believe, I, I would simply say this to any, to any leader. Um, God has called you for such a time as this. I think the assignment of the enemy to all of us who, who, who walk in, in integrity and in faith in the mission and plan of God, uh, the, the enemy has sought to disorient you, um, discourage you, or perhaps even distract you. Um, but at the heart of God's plan for your life is, is destiny. And the thing that wakes me from being disoriented, distracted, or discouraged is the fact that God has preordained his purpose and deposited that in me. And what shakes you through the moments where you don't feel like you are enough is the reality that you are not. But in God, you you are. And, and so um, don't so much as fight for victory, um, just fight from the place of victory you're already victorious. That's good. That's good. Very well said. Very well said. Well, brother, I love you, man. Love you, Thank man. you for Thank you, hanging out with me. Sure. Remember, it is better to live by principle than to die by impulse. You go with God and be incredibly incredibly blessed. Thank you for listening to the Legacy Leadership Alliance podcast. We invite you to continue to join us at the intersection of religion, education, and the marketplace as we provide synergy and faith toward the future. Follow us on all podcast platforms and subscribe. Contact Sean Cooper at bishopshawn at gmail.com. And remember, it is better to live by principle than to die by impulse.